um, starting at 35. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led them to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, how did you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son, you are king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. Well, we're in our third week of John, looking at John 1. We're going to finish this chapter today. Hey, if you don't have your Bible, uh, I invite you to grab one on the back. Uh, uh, what are those called? Stands, I guess. And uh, have one in. If you get up to go there, we'll know why. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Um, it's okay. Or get on your phone and make sure you're looking at the text this morning and, and walk along with us. John 1, 35 through 50. I want to tell you a phrase I heard just recently here, and I had to kind of break it down think about it. The phrase is this, that the great protector of the church is the Bible. The great protector of the church is the Bible, meaning this, is that you can see, even in the church world sometimes, people go in all different directions on what they think, right, and what they might even say from the stage, but it is the Bible that brings us back to who God is, what he's about, and what we ought to be doing. So the great protector of the church is the Bible, which means you should never just receive what someone says and say, yeah, that's gold, that's, that's biblical right there. You should open it up, the Bible, and read along and follow along and check that. Now, I'm not asking you to have a highly critical spirit because you'll suck the joy out of what God wants to speak to you about this morning, uh, but following along and being engaged in God's word. Now, just like the previous weeks, there's no way we'll get through everything in this section of John this morning. So you'll see there's verses I just pass over because we just can't break that down. Or there's components of a verse that we just can't break down here in, uh, in 30 minutes. And so I invite you on your own to go and take a look at those this week. Uh, I think from 1977 to 1999, 
Star Wars fans, you had it pretty good, did, did you not? Like, uh, that's not my, my genre, that's not my world, but those of you who is Mike, I mean, you guys had it pretty good, right? Pretty good. But then you wanted to know what happened before, right? Because Star Wars is episode four, and you're like, well, what happened before? What led up to this, right? And you got it, right? You got the story. You got Jar Jar Binks and all of it, right? <laughs> and you weren't overly excited, were you? Well, that's kind of what we're talking about in this passage. How did the disciples become the disciples? These people we know who are followers of Jesus, right? And then we would know if you've read the book of Acts that they're the ones that go out and spread the church to, to really everywhere. Eventually, uh, the stories post the book of Acts, the, the, the church goes everywhere. Who are these guys? How did they become disciples? Here's what I would always think is a simple answer. I thought my, most of my Christian life, well, Jesus called them, right? And yes, in a general sense, Jesus called them. The same way Jesus might have called you and I uh, to do things or into certain things. He called me as a 17-year-old sitting in a class one day at high school, and I entertained the thought, you ought to go into the ministry. I just recognized that probably came from the Holy Spirit because I had never thought it before. And I just said, yes, that was how dramatic my calling was, right? And you have some calling like that, but that would be the general answer. There's a more specific answer that actually is biblical that I think challenges us and speaks to us as well. And it actually pushes another question on us is how do we become disciples or how does anyone in our lives, your family, your friends, your coworkers that don't know Jesus, how do they become disciples? Disciples. How would this ever happen for anyone? Well, we get the answer in this scripture, in this passage this morning. And the general answer just of Jesus called, I, I don't think it's specific enough to help us the way this passage is intended to help us. And so let's just take a look at this. I'm going to highlight just a couple passages. So um, I kind of cheated on my word and I'm giving you a couple passages in here. I told you before they wouldn't be on the screen. You know, you'd have to get in there and engage in the word yourself, but you're going to get a couple this morning. So let's just jump right into it. How did the disciples become disciples? Take a look at this first section in uh, chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, remember that's John the Baptist, not the writer of this book. John the Baptist was standing again with two of his disciples. Did you know that John the Baptist had disciples? Probably quite a few of the disciples. Crowds were coming to be baptized. Uh, for the very purpose of even having assistance and help in what was going on, he would have had followers. It would make sense, too, as he's baptizing people, that he would have people that were like, hey, I'm into this. You know, I, tell me more. Teach me more. Let me be a part of what God is doing through you. And so John had disciples as well. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. This is the second time he said this. The previous time he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But now he, these specific disciples, he's saying, look, the Lamb of God. And what happens? The two disciples heard what he said and they followed Jesus. Now, we know from John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and we talked about it last week, this was John's purpose, to testify to the Christ. So it would make sense that he would say, look, there he is, Lamb of God. That's the guy I've been testifying to. That's the guy I've been talking to. But what's understood here is he's saying this specifically to two of his followers, and they were to leave and go follow Jesus. That's what John wanted anyway, for people to be followers 
of Jesus. So two of his disciples leave to go follow Jesus here. What does that teach us? What we see here is the direction of someone who is trusted leads people to become disciples. That these two disciples trusted and followed John. They trusted John's message. When John said that one is coming after me, I'm not even worthy to tie that person's sandals. I mean, that is just foreshadowing and build up for who they actually want him to follow. And so when the day came where he said, look, there he is. That's the one. That's Jesus, Lamb of God. It would make sense that they want to then leave and follow. So at the direction of someone who is trusted, people become followers of Jesus. Now, in your life, you might have all kinds of people. You might have some people that they say, hey, I know Jesus, and you have learned over time with them. Yeah, they seem to have something going on, but they're not plugged into their Christian walk, or they're not plugged into church, or those type of things. But you've built this relationship of trust. You've built this good relationship. Guess what? The door is going to open where you're going to be able to direct them to follow Jesus. Maybe not just that general sense, because they probably already think they're there, but in some specific area of trust Jesus in their life, you're going to be that trusted person. You know, for me, it was Mark Wilson. In high school, that youth pastor, I knew he loved me, he cared for me, he showed interest in my life, right? My parents showed up to baseball games, and Mark Wilson showed up to baseball games, right? The girls I liked at school didn't show up to baseball games, right? So... But they were there. That's the people, my parents and Mark Wilson. And so when Mark Wilson started to direct me to Jesus Christ, it would make sense that that relationship would open up a door where I would say, really, what I was saying is, I trust you, Mark. I'm willing to see what this is all about in my life. And eventually I said yes and became a follower of Jesus. So the direction of somebody who's trusted is important. Question for you. Who, who do you trust spiritually? Or let me ask it a different way. Who would you say is a spiritual mentor in your life? Someone you draw to for direction spiritually, direction in your Christian walk and in your Christian growth. If your answer this morning is a, hang on just a second, I'm losing this. There we go. You share it okay? Yeah. All right. Um, if your answer is no, that's, that's a problem. You're missing someone that you trust who will speak direction into your life and help you become a deeper follower and a deeper disciple of Jesus Christ. So you can be this for somebody else, but you need to have this in your life as well. We find at least two of the disciples of John here, this is how they became disciples. Now, notice Jesus isn't really in the picture other than he's over there and they're saying, look, that's the guy, go, go follow him. Jesus, at least by his own invitation, is not there yet. Then let's take a look at this, uh, jump a little bit here to verse 40. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew. You probably heard that name if you know a little bit about the disciples. Anybody in here had to memorize the 12 disciples like when you were younger? You had to, kind of, or you had it memorized at some time? Yeah, a couple of you are, yeah? Stand up and say them. No, I'm joking. You don't have to. Did you want to? Okay. All right, so Andrew, and he's the brother of Simon Peter, okay? So you know as Peter there, right? So that's his brother. 
he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. So you see what we're getting here is a family member, super tight family connection, and he would go to his brother and say, we have found the Messiah. Now, let's break down what that means, because sometimes what we do is we're 2,000 years later. We take every word like this, Messiah, Christ, you know, chosen one, son of God, everything, and we just throw them all in a blender and we say that's the same exact thing. But in reality, when they would say these different things, nearly all of them meant something specific. So here, when Andrew is saying we have found the Messiah, it simply means this, is a messenger sent from God. Now he says the in there, in the sense of this is, a, 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 this is not just another one, but this is something far more significant here. Now, we are going to see the disciples struggle with this Messiah. They struggle with this understanding what Messiah actually means. But I don't think they ever struggle with the idea that Jesus was a messenger sent from God. And so we're getting that that's being declared right here, right now. And that would be intriguing for Simon, right? Or for Peter, as we know him, right? So the second thing we see is they brought a family member. Simple as that. Brought a family member. Now, I've popped around different places in the nation. I grew up in Southern California, obviously with my immediate family. I went off to college in LA, immediately to Kentucky for grad school, married Cherie, moved to Arizona for ministry, Chicago to coach college baseball, Chicago here. And each time I moved, to Kentucky, to Arizona, to Chicago, to here, I didn't know a soul, right? Didn't know anybody, really, other than the people I had met on the phone before I came here, right? And even Rich Brendel, do you remember when, when I interviewed on the phone with you, Rich Brendel? His first statement was, um, I had never been a senior pastor before, I had only been an assistant. His first thing was, well, we're really only looking for people with senior pastor experience. <laughs> Wait, why are we talking here? So, it worked out, all right, good. So, but when I got here, I realized more than any other place I lived, like, you people have family. North Carolinians have family, and they live close. Like, when people say, yeah, yeah, we grew up in Archdale, everybody's in Archdale still. Like, that's something that went, in these places I popped around, all of these cities I lived in were are fairly transient compared to this. And so I started to get this glimpse more of what it meant to have mom and dad still close, to have cousins still close, grandma and grandpa. When somebody says, hey, I can't make it on Sunday because, afternoon because grandma's making a meal, like that had meant nothing to me my whole life. I get it, you know, seeing here. So it would make sense to you who have family like that, that if you became a follower of Jesus and something dramatic happened in your life, you'd talk to a family member. That's all he's doing here. He's just going to his brother and he is sharing with his brother what they have found and what he should now follow. And so when, when, they say, when they see this, what they're seeing is this, this messenger of God. He is saying, when he says Christ, this Jesus has something to do with salvation. But they wouldn't have all the pieces put together like we do 2,000 years later. But it was intriguing enough for a family member to bring another family member. Listen, you might have a family member. And you might need to be inviting that family member to know Jesus Christ. And chances are the first invitation, maybe it's to church, maybe it's to some hangout night we do, right? We're having a game night coming up later. So maybe it's something like that. 
chances are they're not going to have all the pieces and understanding of Jesus as the Messiah, bringing salvation to their life, offering new life. All, they're not going to have all that piece together. But they're going to work off your invitation of your life being transformed, of you being a follower, and you're saying, I have found somebody that's sent from God. That's going to be the intriguing piece. Now, you might put it in your own words, in your own way. So the question for us there is, who in your family doesn't know Jesus? Is there somebody that doesn't know Jesus? A brother, sister, mom, dad, grandma, cousins, I don't know. But there's probably somebody who doesn't know Jesus. The danger with their family is you're so familiar with so much of your family. You've spent so much time with your family that you kind of move on and you forget. You are the best person to share Jesus with your family. So let's move on and, and see what else, because there's something neat that happens next. The next day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, so they make a little journey here the next day, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Now, that last line helps us know that it's quite possible that Andrew and Peter directed Jesus, hey, we know this guy in Bethsaida, and they went there, or, or they, I'm sorry, they went to Galilee, we know this guy. Uh, Philip, it's quite possible. We don't know, so I don't want to draw too much into that passage. But what we do find here, it says that Jesus with Philip kind of takes it into his own hands. And that Jesus goes up to Philip and he says to Philip directly, follow me. Follow me. There's another disciple, if you remember, Levi or Matthew, you know the name, that we actually find in Mark and Luke. There is a direct calling on him too. Jesus walks right up and says, follow me. And he leaves and he follows. It was a big deal because he was a tax collector. And here we get this similar. Jesus walks right up to Philip and says, follow me. Now, why did Jesus want Philip? It's interesting. We're going to actually find a few more things. So, but I'll give you a little teaser. You may not care, but I'll give you it anyway. Philip is a Greek name. And we're going to find there's these moments in the book of John where Jesus actually speaks the word that is going to be for the Greeks or the non-Jewish people as well. The religious leaders, they won't have anything to do with that, right? It was all focused towards the Jewish people. Jesus is going to remember the promise to Abraham and declare it to the Greeks and the non-Gentiles. I told you, uh, John uses the word Greek more than he does the word Gentile, but that's exactly what he means. He means the same thing there. And so it's, you're going to see twice later that Philip being of a Greek name and probably some Greek culture in his background and family, he is the open door actually to a couple of these non-Jewish groups that Jesus speaks into. But we'll get to that as we move on later. Was that just an amazing tease? Are you like on the edge of your seat to get to this? Just, just say yes, yes, it was. All right, we'll move on, we'll move on. So the direct call of Jesus, direct call of Jesus. I asked the question in here, how do you get a direct call of Jesus? Well, one thing has to happen to get a direct call of Jesus is proximity. Like, you got to be in a place where you can hear Jesus speak. Now, Jesus, obviously from a spiritual sense, could talk to you anywhere, anytime. You know, you can be on a roller coaster at the amusement park and Jesus could talk to you if he so desired to talk to you that way. You might have tried to talk to him while you were on a roller coaster if you were, you know, a little scared or something like that. I don't know. But a direct call of Jesus, there's proximity involved. But generally, this is you putting yourself in a position 
to hear from Jesus. Why do I often drive people to be to church? Because there's something about being at church that opens up the door of being in the presence of Jesus and hearing him in a way that we don't always allow the rest of our week. Does that mean you can't go to Jesus during the week? No, and I hope you do. But there's something special that happens on Sunday morning. When you get up and you decide to do your devotions in the morning, there's something special that happens. When you decide you're taking one passage and you're going to memorize that, and you're going to speak it throughout the day, there's something that happens that way. When you decide over the course of your day, you're just going to stop a few moments and say, Jesus, direct me today. Not quite sure what to do or where to go. Direct me today. Or, Jesus, I just want to offer thanks to you in this day. I don't do that enough. Something special happens. But here's what I know can happen. You can get a direct answer, voice, call from Christ. Why? Proximity. You've put yourself in a position to hear from him. So that would be the question on this one is, uh, what kind of time are you spending with Jesus? What kind of space are you putting yourself in to clearly hear directly from him? Now, there's one more way we, we find here. Now, I, I'm going to look at this last way, and I'm going to say it's this last way, I love it. And you probably know that, right? I mean, it's just it's how I'm wired. From the moment I became a Christian, I went two doors up the road, and I met my friend Hank, and I started to tell him about Jesus, and I got to pray with him in his driveway. Not long after I'd become a Christian, I didn't even understand everything, right? I just knew what I had prayed. I went up there, and I prayed it with him. So you know I love this thing. You don't all love it. I get it. In fact, for some of us, this is like the, um, the paperwork side of the job. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you have a job. You love it. But at the end of the day, there's some paperwork you got to take care of. And I know a couple of you are like paperwork nerds and you love that, right? But let's forget about you for a second. Most of the us, we don't like paperwork or we don't like that kind of stuff, right? Same for me, like in ministry. I love lots of stuff, right? But there's some stuff. Uh, my friend Hutch is a policeman. They hate the paperwork, right, at, at the end of the day. Got to be done. It's got to be done in most jobs. Now, if it's not paperwork, it's something else in your job. It's just how it is. And sometimes we look at this next thing as that. Let's take a look at it. Just pop, pop down a couple verses. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and prophets. Now, um, I'm going to just give you a verse. You can look it up on your own, but look up Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, and you can kind of see this is kind of an overt reference to the prophet or the coming prophet that God would send. And there's a few others. They're littered throughout the law, these references to, to Christ or what we see. Now, if you were in Moses' day, you may not have been able to draw the references clear, but we're on the other side of it, so you can look back and go, oh, I can see how that was prophecy there. I'll let you look at that. I'm just giving you one, Deuteronomy 18, 15. Um, Jesus, Joseph's son of Nazareth. Now, what does Nathaniel say? He responds, can anything come good come from Nazareth? Uh, Philip said, come and see. Now, um, here it was, it was a small town, and Cana and Nazareth were uh, in close proximities. They might have been, you know, what we think of in high school sports as kind of the rival towns. And it could be that's what Nathaniel is just referring to. He lives in one place. Nazareth is the other place. And he's just saying, anything come from there? Everything good comes from here. Right? Um, but there's nothing clearly in biblical studies that would say Nazareth was, you know, like a bad town or anything. So that's probably what he's referring to. Philip says, come and see. 
come and see. You see what's happening there? Philip has a friend. And he says to the friend, come. Now, it's clear that Nathaniel already has... He already has some understanding of a coming Messiah and them looking for a Messiah. You can see that, or else he wouldn't have brought up Moses, the law, the prophets, uh, and all of this. But when he actually says, we have found it, this is it, what do they say there? Yeah, I don't think that's it. I think you got it wrong, right? Nothing good can come from there, right? And what does Philip then respond? Come and see. Just come see for yourself. Come check it out and you decide is what he's seen. Listen, I read this, and I see the most perfect strategy, if you want to call it that, with how to share Jesus with other people in your life. That you simply say, hey, come check this out. I have found the fulfillment in life. I have found what, what the, the heart of life is. However, whatever phrase you want to say. Then most of your friends living in our world will say, oh, yeah, I, I know that. Oh, Jesus stuff, yeah, I've been there, done that. Or I'm not really interested. I'm not religious. I'm not. There's all kinds of things they might say. But then to come back and just say, well, why don't you just come check it out and see? Just come see, and you can draw your own conclusion when you come see. This fourth thing is just simply an invitation of a friend. This, again, is what some of us see as the paperwork of this Christian life. Well, I guess I got to do it. I better invite somebody this year, get the pastor off my back, right? But in reality, this is so highlighted that we get the opportunity to invite someone else along in our life. And most often, somebody comes to know Jesus Christ because of an invitation like this. Because somebody is just invited to come along. Just come along with me. Why don't you just come check it out? Hey, what are you doing Sunday? You know, will you, you be up for coming to church? We'll grab some lunch afterwards. Will you get no's? You'll get a lot of no's, right? Does that no mean no and I hate you and don't ever talk to me again? I don't, I've never felt that. I doubt you'll ever feel that from one of your friends, right? Simple invitation to come, just to come. Usually you won't say it this way. Come, I think you'll surrender life to Christ. You're going to become a Jesus nut just like me. It's going to be amazing, right? Because that probably won't be appealing. But for you to say, just come check it out and see for yourself. See if this isn't amazing. See if there's not something in this for you. See if this doesn't impact your life in some way. The invitation of a friend. Now, I told you, uh, for me, uh, moving around, there wasn't family in close proximity. Of course, we talk on the phone and whatnot, but... In close proximity. So for me, this has been the dominant thing, to find friends and to invite them along. Maybe you're in a position where that first family one doesn't quite fit either. Invite a friend. Invite a friend along with you. So here's the question. What friend are you praying to invite? Is there a friend that you've been praying for? Is there somebody in front of you who said, Lord, use me to invite them? Well, let's look at one more uh, quick section here, and then I, I want to direct you with a couple takeaways. Um, why are they called? We find this little last section in this passage uh, where there's this interaction. We can't break down the whole interaction. There's actually some pretty neat theological things that show up in there, but let me just highlight one thing here. There's this neat thing that happens where Jesus tells Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree, and so there's this little supernatural thing that Jesus saw something that there's no way... He could have saw that captures Nathaniel right 
And Jesus says down in verse 50, do you believe because I told you this, I did this, this supernatural thing? And then he says, you will see even greater things this, than this. I assure you that you'll see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. Now that's some weird stuff that he's talking there. But what he's telling Nathaniel here is you're going to see amazing. You are going to see the very hand of God at work in my life. If you follow me, you're going to see these amazing things that happen that have to be from God. They won't just be from me. He's describing this sense. You're going to see heaven open, the angels going up and down. Meaning this is the very work of God you're going to get to see and be a part of. All the way up to this moment that he'll foreshadow even more about the crucifixion and resurrection as well. I don't think we often think about what we get to see, what we get to be a part of when we become Christians. Certainly those we might invite along aren't thinking of what they might get. But I look at this and I think about it this way is no matter what a person has lived, life with Jesus will be greater. That's what Jesus is saying. It's probably been good for you, Nathaniel. It's going to be greater. It's going to be greater. In fact, for most people in your life, maybe you included, the choice is not going to be terrible, horrible, addiction-based life. It is for a lot of people, but it may not be for you. It may not be your friend. The choice is going to be between pretty good life. Life's good. Life's fine. Got a nice job, nice family. We pay bills, you know, nice house. We do some hobbies. We, a good life and the great that Jesus has to offer. That's going to be the choice. And if you're here, you don't often even recognize there's something greater. But that's what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel. In fact, that's what I think calling, when he calls his disciples to himself, or when people are invited, in this story and when we get to do that, we are inviting people to something greater that they may can't even see at this point. Jesus is basically saying this, you think life is good? Buckle up. You're going to see things that will blow your mind. And if you know the Gospels in the book of John, or if you want to just go with us when we get there, you're going to see it happens. In fact, the first miracle in the book of John will happen next week. Well, it's not really next week. It's, it's three days later in the Bible. But for us, it will be next week when we get. Takeaway. Here's a couple things. These are questions for you to think on this week. One, who's directing you to follow Jesus? Who's your spiritual mentor? Who's built into your life? Do you have a spiritual mentor? Is it your pastor? Is it your spouse? Is it a close friend who's building into your Christian life? We're better with somebody speaking into us. So find somebody if you don't have that person. Here's the second question. Who are you going to invite? Here's the practical. I can't give you a verse to back this up. But the practical challenge would be this. Always have a list of five people that you're praying for to invite to church. I don't mean like you're praying for, you know, Frank, and Frank has a family of five. Oh, you're praying for Frank, and he counts as one, his whole family. Always have five that you're praying for. Lord, would you use me to invite these people? You won't be able to invite them all the same week. It doesn't perfectly open up. Doors don't open up like that. But Lord, use me to invite these people. Pray daily over five people always. Somebody comes and they're getting plugged in. Well, shoot them off the list and put somebody else on there. And just regularly be praying that God would use you to invite. And then finally, how much do you believe life is greater with Jesus? Christians getting into a very comfortable, relaxed Christian state 
where there's no challenge, there's no growth, and there's no asking the question, is there something even greater that you have for me, Lord? That can easily sink away if we allow it. And so ask this question, do you believe that life is even greater with Jesus than even the what you're living right now? I believe he just wants to keep growing us more and more and more this whole Christian life. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, that you called people and you used different ways. You used family. Lord, somebody in here has a family member that needs to know Jesus. And they're the ones that are going to open up the door. So would we be like Andrew and go to a family member? Lord, we know as well that you're going to direct us. There's times where we're going to put ourselves in a position. So if there be one in here that is not opening up the door to you through devotions, through time with you during the week, may they start this week to hear from you. Father, would we consider who is our spiritual mentor? Maybe it's just been we've been afraid to ask someone. May that question go this week. And then finally, Lord, would we, would we be used by you, be praying for people in our lives, friends? Lord, would you use us to invite, to invite people to come either to church or into a spiritual conversation, whatever it may be. But would we be people of invitation constantly? Because what we're saying in all of that with the family member, with a spiritual mentor, with putting ourselves directly in front of you, with inviting a friend, what we are saying is life is greater with you. And I don't want to step off the gas in that area, Lord. I don't want to step off the gas of my spiritual growth because life is greater with you. I pray this in your son's name.